1: Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com.
0: Shut up and sit down.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Today's podcast, we talk about something that as bowhunters seems to be inevitable. Um, You know, you take that shot and it doesn't go where you had planned or the deer moves. And now you've got that tracking job, how long to wait, what to do. And if you can't find blood, what do you do on the next step? Today, we talked to Brian Dagan of the Michigan Deer Tracking Network about the benefits of running or hiring a tracking dog and kind of what a hunter should expect and what it's like to actually run dogs on tracks for wounded game. So it was a really interesting podcast to record. Brian's a local guy here, so we were able to sit down with him in person and kind of go through you know, some of the scenarios that we would expect to see and kind of talk to him about what he's seen over his 400 tracks in the last seven years. So sit back and enjoy this podcast. And I hope that you don't ever have to use a dog um, to track one of your animals, but um, this will give you some insight into what you may encounter uh, if you do. So enjoy the podcast and thanks for listening. Hey everybody, Adam and John back today with another episode of the Bull Hunter Chronicles podcast. We're here today with Brian Dagan from Whitehall Wounded Game Recovery, and Brian runs tracking dogs um, that that track wounded white tails. How you doing tonight, Brian?
1: Good, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, no problem. So I think you know we've been sitting here having a bunch of conversation about you know kind of how he kind of got into tracking and kind of what it's all about and his phone has just been blowing up blowing up blowing up so i'm really glad that you could uh, take the time tonight and and speak with us so tell us a little bit about how you got into tracking and kind of how long you've been doing it
1: um my my dog mac he's seven and a half years old and uh i got him when he was about six months and started working with him um i didn't really know a whole lot when i first got into it to be honest um I got in contact with a couple of the other trackers through the state of Michigan, and they helped me along with training him. And, uh, he's turned out to be a pretty good dog.
2: So, what's the, I mean, I guess what's the motivation to, like, get into it? How did you just not, like, oh, my dog's good at, you know, tracking down stuff in the yard? Or, I mean, well, you said you, you bought a, did you buy a dog and say, hey, I want to track deer with it? No,
1: no. Uh, truth be told, I actually found Mac. Okay. Um, I was able to adopt him after no one claimed him, and, uh, my buddy shot a deer, and I said, well, I got this this pup. Let's try it out. And I'd been working with him a little bit, and well, he did excellent on his first track right out of the box. And I hate to say it, but I'll probably never have one that's going to be as good as he is now. So,
2: <laughs> And how long ago was that?
1: Uh, seven years.
2: Seven years. Yep. So same dog, same track, seven years. Yep. Is that maybe typical you know dogs are just either good or they're not good
1: well um i'm working right now with two pups helping two local guys here that wanted to get into it and uh they had the luxury of having the knowledge not handed to them but being readily available and uh they're they're starting to turn into some really good dogs too that i feel confident referring out to people so i think any dog's got a the trait to do it the nose uh it's just trying to figure out what motivates them to continue on for one, two, sometimes even three miles
0: or more. So right now you just have the one? Yep. Do you have any plans of, like, getting another one to start training it now?
1: I want to. um, It's going to be up to my wife. (laughs) So I was hoping maybe next April to pick one up and start working with it.
2: So I guess kind of take us through kind of your life as a, as a tracker, I mean, you were you've been here for maybe a half hour now, and it's just been your phone's just constantly like track, 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 track. Yeah, so.
1: it, it's really starting right now to get into our busy, you know, season Ruts starting to kick off. A lot of deer being shot. Um, it takes a big commitment to do to run one of these dogs for the public. Uh, it's you're getting phone calls all through the night you're driving two miles one way or two hours one way then maybe you'll get a call two hours back the other way you know you might put three four hundred miles on in a night or a day and uh we you know people we we do charge um a lot of the newer guys that are running pups right now are doing it on donation just trying to get some tracking in um Trust me, the money that we do do get off it does not cover even our expenses, driving and time wise away from our wife and kids. So,
0: so you're not getting rich on. Huh? <laughs> no,
1: no, this is not part of my retirement plan.
0: <laughs> sounds like it's more of a passion. Yep, yep. I guess what's it like? So, you, what are the
2: pertinent things? So, like, let's say, you know, we're bow hunters, so we shoot a deer, and you think it's a marginal hit, and we go out and track it or, you know, we track it to the end of the blood. You know, we all are going to do our due diligence and we want to make the best shot. and We want to, you know, give the deer plenty of time to to expire. But, I mean, as a tracker, what, I guess, from your perspective, in a perfect world, what should we be doing um, versus what actually really
1: happens? Um, So the first thing that I tell people is to assess their shot where do you think you hit the deer? And actually, um, when I, whenever someone contacts me, I have a, a photo on my phone that I send to them and it's got a grid, uh, throughout a white tailed deer's body. And they give me, you know, say I hit D nine and that, that would indicate a liver or maybe clip a lung. Um, so first thing we got to identify is where do you think you hit the deer? Um, and then from there we'll decide how much time we're going to give the deer. Um, if we suspect liver shots, um, I generally will not bring Mac out to one unless it's been six to eight hours or, or more. Um, a gut shot deer, um, unless absolutely the hunter refuses to, I, I, I won't bring Mac to it unless it's been 12 hours. Um, if they're not pushed, generally the gut shot deer are within 150, 200 yards laying either dead or so weak that they can't get away. Now, if it's a shoulder shot or a high shot, which is a lot of our calls, um, those are our, our lower percentage in recovery. And I'm, I'm whenever someone calls, I'm very honest with them. I say, look, um, not that I'm going to encourage you not to use our services, but you're looking at less than a 50% chance recovery um, and that, or less. So um, those shots, though, we try to get on right away. And run them. Uh, you want to keep the blood pumping, the blood pressure. Don't give it time to clot. And push them, and tell you that they get so weak that you can uh, have the hunter get a second shot once we back out, or uh, they they finally expire on the hoof.
2: What's the most common, you know, calls that you're that you're getting? Would you say
1: uh, the front shoulder shots? Um, you know, three four inches of penetration. If if you shoot one in the in the front shoulder and it's not dead within 150 yards, it's you, you're in for you're, you're looking in the single digits percentage wise. Uh, there's just nothing else to hit there, so you got to run it and run it until it either bleeds enough to get disoriented, and a lot of times you just don't catch up to them. They're just they're too healthy for too long.
2: And do you think that the that's because those hunters are 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 thinking that they made a good shot and they can't fathom why this deer isn't dead? In that the gut shot ones, do, they're letting them lay like they they should. Or why do you think you're getting calls on those? The ones in the front shoulder.
1: Well, just simply because the deer's not dead and the deer's not going to die. I mean, we have hundreds of pictures on our phones. Um, all of our of, of us trackers are. Um, are involved with the michigan deer tracking network and we we contact each other about thoughts and share pictures of tracks and you know what do you think about this and overwhelmingly that seems to be the most common call and it uh more often than not is deemed not fatal they'll be back on trail camera a couple days later and it's just you're running live deer at that point
2: so you talk about the michigan trackers association or something like that can you explain to us like so let's say you're not in you know the area that we're at you know how, how do you get in touch with a, a tracker let's say even if you're in another state or something like that how, how would you really okay go about getting if you're uh,
1: if you're not from the state of michigan uh there is a national organization called the unitedbloodtrackers.org and you just click on your state that uh if tracking dogs are allowed in your state some some states do not allow you to run deer with dogs even after they've been shot but uh you'd get on there click on the state that you're from and locate one of the trackers on there get a hold of them uh now with social media facebook's a big a big contact that's uh that's where uh Michigan deer tracking network is located um, and once you contact us on facebook it goes right to all of our phones and we'll get the hunter help um sooner rather than later
2: we kind of talked about it a little bit before the podcast you had talked about that there is some sort of a a certification that you that trackers can do and outside of that certification how do you know if a tracker is legitimate
1: um So, if a a tracker is certified through the United Blood Trackers, uh, what that does is it allows them in the state of Michigan to carry a field, a weapon of season, the hunter, and dispatch of a wounded deer while the um, dog is present. Um, If you're uncertified, the dog cannot be present when dispatching of a wounded animal. So... uh. As far as the the reviews online of trackers, it's kind of you doing your homework and researching them, seeing how if they have credentials or not uh There's no state standardized test to be a part of it uh on the deer tracking network um We've kind of let social media do that for us, where if we see the same dog and same handler getting negative feedback, um, you know, we kind of talk to them and say, hey, maybe, maybe not charge. You know, go out do a couple free tracks. Get your dog over some known kills. And that seems to have worked really well.
2: When you're talking about that, free tracks and, and everything like that, so what should somebody expect to pay or... Um You know when they call a tracker for say a successful track an unsuccessful track a ten mile track or a hundred yard track,
1: okay, so how it works with uh the Michigan deer tracking network is every tracker group and or tracker team uh sets their own price um and that is all discussed individually between the hunter and that team um there's a lot of the new guys out there this year are tracking basically just on donation. Um, with me, it basically comes down to how much time I have, uh, how far I got to drive, and whether or not I got to work in the morning. Uh, I generally, I, I'm not going to say I'm one of the cheaper ones, but I I try to set a fee that is if I show up, and then I generally ask for a fee if we recover. That way I don't feel like i did a disservice to the to the hunter
2: and you got to take your own time into consideration you know yeah. gas money all of that sort of thing um when you, one of the things that just popped into my head when you were talking about well you know when you're looking at a tracker and you're looking at reviews and you're looking at you know uh, social media and letting that that sorted out i mean i guess it, like in my My situation, you know, we talked about the deer I shot in Ohio and everybody that's listened to the podcast has heard that story. Um, I don't know in that situation if I would have been, you know, I'd be, I would have been out of state. I'd have been probably just looking for anybody that was, you know, Ohio (laughs) tracking dog and then called them up. Yep. So.
1: Um, there are a couple of us trackers uh, in the state of Michigan that do cover Indiana and Ohio um, and as far as I know, they don't uh, have other states don't necessarily have a well-established group of trackers at least not that I've I've found um, not saying that there's not any good trackers down there because I know there is. Uh, it's just I don't know how you would go about really sorting out, other than just looking at the reviews on Facebook or wherever you found them,
2: well, I mean, I just feel like at at that point it would be just such an emotional <laughs> decision, right? I mean, yep. I'm like, my God, you know, I know that this is, this deer's dead. It's just we can't can't find it. You know, yep. what's the? <laughs>
0: I, I, I couldn't have been like combing through. I don't think. No. What, what What's like the worst uh, terrain? Uh, shit tangles what i mean you know like when we were in ohio there was i mean just gnarly shit just it seemed like it would tear up a dog matter of fact uh two years after adam shot his we were tracking my buddy jason's buck and he ended up losing all his arrows out of his quiver when we were going (laughs) through this stuff it was so nasty he didn't even realize we were were
2: crawling on the ground and you know you know hands and knee type stuff
1: absolutely um as far as dangers to the dog, uh, the main thing we got to worry about is him getting kicked or spurred by a, a horn. Um, I've had that personally happen. Uh, Max has been stitched up a couple times. Uh, and, yeah, we, we go through. I, I bring waders, changes of clothes, just about everything you could think of is, is in the, the track and rig. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we've recovered them in boats, in celery fields, muck up to your, it's an injured whitetail will go to extremes to get to somewhere where he thinks he's safe.
2: Right. So I guess kind of uh, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Um you know, we talked about it with the the deer that I had shot and we, you know, you, you didn't really comment one way or the other. You know, we said that, you know, we were expecting them to go to water. Like what are some generalities or like what are some trends that you've seen? Tracking deer, either around water, not around water. When yeah, hit this way, hit that way.
1: Uh, I'm actually kind of glad you brought this up because just the other day in our our group chat with all the other trackers, we were kind of talking about trends that we've seen, and it's not it's not really a small sample when you think of how many deer that we've all tracked. And one thing that we've really came to the conclusion on is a wounded deer unless it's on its death run, you know, a 60, 80-yard death run where it's double-lunged, they do not go to cornfields to die. They, uh, for whatever reason, they just avoid them. They'll walk along the edge until they can get into uh, grass or a blowdown. Um, Another thing that we've noticed is river crossings. If a whitetail is going to cross a river, and can't immediately get up on the other side. I would say nine out of ten times that we've uh, noticed is they go upstream for whatever reason. Um, as far as the going to water to die, um, obviously the big thing is gut shots. Um, they do we do tend to find them in the water or lowland generally it's not always the case um but liver shots on the other hand don't tend to be in the water they tend to almost avoid it but you know nothing's for sure <laughs>
2: right well i mean you know whether it's you know i i couldn't tell you if i read it in a magazine or it's just one of those things that's always passed down you know you know oh you shot him like let's go look over by the water you know this is these are the things so just curious as to what you've seen, uh, and you talked about recovering them in boats and mm-hmm. things like that. How does you know? Like, I just posted on social media me pouring my boots out from from last night's hunt. You know, back in there, I got when I got back in there, it was one of those definite spots where you're like, I'm not shooting anything back here. That's not <laughs> not <laughs> worth it because there's no way, you know, in that in a in a in a swamp or where there's a, a a ton of water, or I mean, last night it was raining and blowing and snowing and yep. and everything bad. I would think for for tracking a deer, how does how does a dog handle that sort of situation?
1: Okay, um, so when uh, when we decide to take a track and go out on it, uh, one of the things that we assess is obviously the time, the time and the conditions. Because a dog's only going to work if there's something there for them to smell. Um, these dogs are not trained on blood. They're trained on the interdigital gland and the rear hoof. And as well as other, you know, obviously if you're getting gut or liver matter, that really helps. <laughs> but uh, uh, the effectiveness of the dogs, generally, the, the I call the golden hours 24 hours. After 24 hours after the shot, you're. Your chance of recovery diminishes greatly. Um, now, as far as terrain, uh, some dogs are better at different terrains. I've noticed it with my dog, and I'm really starting to notice it when I went down to Kentucky and this year. Um, for whatever reason, my dog really struggled in CRP fields and where there's tall grass. And uh, I've told you guys he's kind of a noser, he's nosed down right into the hoof. Well, after talking to a couple of the other trackers, and it really, it kind of clicked in my dog's head. He started tracking when he got to that field. Um, now he tracks with his nose up, actually smelling the tops of the the undergrowth. And uh, the moisture aspect of it actually holds scent better than not having anything on top of either the leaves or the grass. So... Um, a little bit of moisture is good. Now, obviously, if you're in a downpour, um, it's kind of a crapshoot. Uh, if you're under a real heavy rain, it, it can definitely wash the scent away. And the big thing is you're not going to see any visual signs. Uh, you're not going to find the blood to confirm after eight, 900 yards. So at that point, you just got to trust the dog.
0: Now, when you when you bring your dog into a situation like that, what happens if there's, I mean, multiple deer and they shoot, I mean, you got to find the track that, that he shot, you know what I mean?
1: Um, so a wounded whitetail, uh, once a deer is arrowed, uh, emits a huge amounts of pheromones out of that inner digital gland. Oh. And once, once, uh, and this is speaking just on my dog, once my dog locks on that deer, We've gone within ten yards of a live deer and he didn't even didn't even flinch at looking at that other deer. Okay. So
0: So they pick up on that. Yeah.
1: They yeah. so they will only track one specific deer, that wounded deer.
0: In that seven year
2: time frame, how many tracks have your have you guys been on, you and your dog, and what's the success rate or so
1: without generally screening any calls um i've heard that the national average is around 33 to 35 percent recovery rate um now obviously with screening calls and only taking gut shots and liver shots you can elevate that number greatly um i wish i would have done a better job when i started out documenting how many i went out on what they were um i if i had to throw some real rough numbers out there as far as how many i've been on i'd say it's probably close to 400 and uh like i said my first five six years i didn't do any any screening i just as soon as someone had a deer down i was headed on it and i think mac today has 141 recoveries not counting fluff recoveries in the beginning where you know we watched the deer go down and it was a 100-yard track, so.
0: Right. So that was like a training. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, I guess you used the word
2: recoveries, and I was thinking like a successful track, because it, it can be, I think, greatly misconstrued, I would think, because if you, it's not always an unsuccessful track if you don't recover the deer, if it's not going to die. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that it was a bad shot, but to be able to confirm that that deer is going to make it is yeah. got to be good for both the hunter and.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, like I said, with the, 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 high shots and the front, uh, front shoulder shots, um, even down in Kentucky, uh, I would have, I had a guy call me, he said, Hey, I hit it in the front shoulder and we've tracked it 600 yards. I'm, I'm almost sure it's not going to die. He said, it's a big buck. I just want to confirm. And I, we loaded up and headed out there and, sure enough a mile 1.2 miles into the track we jumped the deer in a soybean field and we ran him another one mile plus and the deer was having no trouble and he he should live to see another arrow <laughs> 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 so uh yeah the successful track I, i'm running that this year in michigan a lot uh man i've we've we've tracked and jumped deer and at a higher rate this year than I've seen in a long time. It's, it's been a pretty frustrating year for
2: us, (laughs) you know, and for us being, but I guess guess centering all of our hunting around bow hunting. Um, is that what you're seeing most of the, your tracks
1: during bow season? Yeah. Uh, Yes. Uh, once rifle season comes, uh, my, our call volumes go down. Our recoveries go down. Um, you know, you know, as well as I do, that if you hit one with a gun and it's not down in 80 yards, you got problems. <laughs> so a lot of graze shots. Um,
2: so well, I, I guess it really doesn't matter. I was going to say without opening up a huge can of worms, but it doesn't really matter because I don't care. Um, <laughs> what, are you seeing any sort of back in those trends, um, differences between mechanical broadheads, fixed blade broadheads, yeah, crossbow
1: um this is another thing that we all talked about uh really the only i mean obviously a lot of our calls are are for rage broadheads but i think if you really look at the stats with how many people are shooting them i think they're overwhelmingly the most popular broadhead so you know probably i would say 60 percent or so are are going to be rage but i think that's just because so many people are using them uh, as far as the crossbow compound um I would I would have expected that there was a lot more calls coming in for compounds, but really it's 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 pretty even as far as I'm concerned. And I don't really notice any glaring differences between them other than now with these new Ravens out, um, we are starting to see some more calls of sixty plus yard shots. Hmm. And Personally, i mean it's your own personal opinion if you're i guess if you're confident in it i'm not gonna tell you not to but i wouldn't recommend it
2: <laughs> <laughs> i mean that was i mean that's kind of what i would have thought is that there's these these guys
0: that are shooting them at yeah 50 60 so
1: uh we well, had yeah, we had a call the other day for 82 yards so it's and it's becoming more and more frequent um and i think a lot of that is due to the advertising of the raven out to 100 yards
2: yeah i mean so for for john and i you know we spent all summer shooting over you know out to 100 plus yards shot the total archery challenge got comfortable with our equipment you know knowing knowing what it was went out to idaho called in a giant elk at 62 yards and i couldn't take the shot it was too far right you know so to i don't know to just say well the commercial said i can shoot this out to 100 and i did it um you know i i would have expected more um in the crossbows and it's interesting that you say that about rage broadheads because i think it could go you know almost the other way is that there's a lot of people shooting them but the people that are shooting them Shouldn't be shooting them. Yeah, (laughs) I I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, because the the deer I shot in Ohio, I shot. You know, we had a bad hit the year before with the Rage extremes, and we found the deer within one hundred and fifty yards, and so I was like, "These got to be the best broadheads ever." Yep. And so I was shooting an underpowered bow with these giant broadheads, and I probably shouldn't have been shooting them. And you know, we found the deer by by accident, by (laughs) by luck, by God going, "Oh, there it is." So
1: one thing that uh, I I would um, not caution people, but advise people um, that are shooting the mechanical broadheads is try to avoid that front shoulder. I mean, still aim mid-body, mid-cavity, and aim right for the center of the lungs. You don't need to make that perfect heart shot. And if you miss one way or the other... You're going to still mortally wound the deer, you know. If you, if you do happen to miss back, you're going to catch liver and guts. It's not. I'm not telling you to shoot there by any means, but that's a that's a mortally wounded deer, and it's one that is a very high success rate with the dogs. If you miss forward, then you're getting into the heart, and if you hit right where you're aiming, you're going to double lung, and it's dead within 80 yards. So, right. I think that gives you the most room for error.
0: But if you tuck it up close to that shoulder and you put it in the shoulder, then unless you're shooting a, you know, heavy poundage bow, heavy arrow, like I'm shooting 80 pounds with a 560 grain arrow. So it'll go right through his shoulder. But guys shooting 50 pounds and then shooting, you know, mechanical broadheads, that takes a lot of energy out.
1: Yes, it does. Um, I actually saw a video. I have it on my phone. Um, of a guy, he was shooting, and um, it was a rage, uh, like I said, not that it, it really matters, I don't think, on this particular case, but he had the tacticam and was shooting at his deer down in Kentucky, and he actually, I I would have never believed it until I saw it, the arrow actually bounced off the deer. The tip of his broadhead was bent about 45, 50 degrees. <laughs> he hit it right square in the front shoulder, the deer rolled, and the arrow laid right there at the shot site with zero inches of penetration and a bent
2: over broadhead. So, so with your, all of your experience being on these tracks and, you know, I, I've not tracked 400 deer in the last eight years. Um, I guess what, what would your advice to be to guys that, you know, so you, you take a shot and you think it might be a little bit back or you might shoot one in the guts or, or whatever. What should be, the next step and i guess what mistakes do you see hunters make oh the right big, out of the, get-
1: the biggest one absolutely without a doubt is they they just can't wait to get out there and get their trophy and they push the deer right out of the county where if they just slowed down grabbed a cup of coffee go sit down analyze it and then you know it it's hard i've done it i most bow hunters have it's you, you there's some sleepless nights and but that absolutely maximizes your chance of recovering that whitetail is if you give it time to expire.
0: Right. And the big thing is, too, is, I mean, guys that go out and if it's a pass-through, especially if you shoot it back, get in the punch, it's going to most likely go, it's going to be a pass-through. You get your arrow, you, you can tell just by the, the smell and the look at it. Give it time. I mean, it's hard, like you're saying, but, you know, some guys get you know uh, weather's coming in you know it's going to wash down the blood or you're in an area with a lot of coyotes i've that's happened to me several times where you know we just gotta let it lay come back sure enough it's dead 200 yards but the coyotes got to it during the night
1: yeah yeah we get that a lot um it's unfortunate but it is part of it and the, the deer didn't go to waste i mean for right. us, I guess it did, and it kind of wasted the tag in most cases. But that's that's all part of it,
0: right? Instead of pushing it, like you said, yep, get on it and push it, and then
1: it's yeah. once you once you jump a wounded white tail, especially if it's got shot, you you better have your track shoes on because at that point you might as well just get on it and run it until
0: right because they they get the adrenaline pumping and then they're yep.
1: Um, our one well, probably one of my most memorable tracks was. Uh, actually in Luther, Michigan, I think it was three, maybe four years ago. Um it was actually in rifle season. It was hit with a three oh eight, uh, right square in the middle of the guts. And uh I had tracked for the family before and they figured with a rifle they'd go ahead and try it and sure enough, about two hundred yards in, um they jumped it. They backed out and called me. Um we still gave it ten hours after they jumped it and we went up there and by my gps which is you know between the weaving a little bit um it probably adds a little mileage but from shot site to recovery of the dead deer and it was dead when we got to it was 5.51 miles holy and we never found another spot where it bedded after it was jumped and i dare say without a dog there's no way they were recovering that deer
2: no um so what keeps you on that track? I mean, was there just like you'd go five hundred yards and then another little spot of blood? And I mean, because that seems like you know you, doing your due diligence is one thing, yep. but um, six miles, you know, five the, and a half miles.
1: The the biggest thing with these dogs and how I I would rate a, a handler and how uh, I guess I don't really know how to say it, but i knew my dog was on that deer there was no doubt in my mind when he's locked on a track it's i can tell you with i'll bet my savings account that we're tracking that deer and he was bellied down elbows out right to the ground on a beeline the whole time and um there is sometimes where we won't find blood for over a thousand yards um, and it's just, you got to trust the dog. There's there's a reason that he's tracking it and you aren't. Uh, right. The nose knows, man, they're, they're incredible. So, and then uh, I'm not saying there's times where we've shown up and the deer, the dog acted like the deer didn't exist. And I, you know, I, what that attributes to, I don't really know. But at that point, you know, I don't charge the people. And I said, Hey, I, you know, and I actually, I'll try to get another handling team up there to see if their dog does the same thing.
2: Yeah, so. that that was going to be one of my questions was what was your, like, most memorable track? And, you know, five and a half miles seems really pretty pretty memorable. What has been the most – was that one of the more difficult tracks, or what was your most diffi- difficult track?
1: Uh, difficult as far as – that one was a fairly easy track. I put right. the dog down, and he locked on, and we – at that point, I was just walking him through the woods, you know. <laughs> um, but it, difficulty comes in once – it's either, you know, time frame has got us, grid searching has got us. Uh, my dog struggles heavily with that. Anywhere that the people have stepped, he will generally work that line. So, um, we we we've recovered one where I I worked my dog through almost two and a half hours of him sorting out the the, the footsteps of the grid search. And once we got outside of that area, he lined the deer out and took off. But that was, it was a very frustrating two and a half hours of watching my dog run a line, stop, come back right to the same spot.
0: So what happened is the people coming and tracking, they're all walking down that, that deer's trail, basically. Yep. And they're getting that scent on their their boots. And then they lose the sign, so then they start doing a grid search. Well, now they're spreading that scent out in the, in the grid, basically. So yeah. then your dog picks that up. You said he's nose to the ground so he's smelling it so
1: absolutely um and there's some dogs that are that are better than mine at that i have no problem saying that they 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 can sort it out sooner and it's just an attribute of my dog but he he did sort it out and we made a happy ending to that (laughs) just was frustrating
2: so i guess in that you know making it more difficult or frustrating or or whatever for the dog the handler um if someone thinks that they're going to have to call it a dog or a tracking team, um, what would you say to them?
1: So I a tracking dog should never be your first option unless you just want to, you know, watch them work. Uh, at, saying that, it also shouldn't be your last. There's The hunter's got to be real with himself. Um, call us, see what we have going on. We're pretty honest with people. You know, we, we tell you if we think it would be a good case for, for a tracking dog. Um, if you don't like our price, whatever. If all trackers are busy or someone can't get to you, then go out, get some buddies, in grid search. Um, but it does make it easier on the dog and has a higher chance recovery if it's a fresh trail um, that hasn't been trampled all over.
2: So when you're saying that, I mean, I guess when you say that, it it makes me, uh, I guess I'm, I guess I'm cynical, right? (laughs) So, you know, you say that, you know, you shouldn't be the first choice or the last choice, um, that, that you guys are going to be straight up. And I think, you know, that kind of seems like you're the, the group of trackers that you have. Would you say that that's the way that, that most reputable trackers are Yes. it's it's a kind of you're you're there to help the hunter versus like it's like um like a a lucrative type thing because i I mean i can see both sides of it because you're providing a service and especially you know um you you had said like you had gone down to kentucky just to to run your dog and you'd talk to outfitters but i think that there were there were could be a faction of people that would just say, man, if I could just get a dog and work with that outfitter, these guys have money and they're going to, you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely.
1: So, um, so when the Michigan Deer Tracking Network was started, that was when our number one concern was how, how do we both, you know, accept and grow our core of trackers while still providing a quality product? um you know people do hear of tracking teams charging two hundred dollars three hundred dollars to track a deer whatever and we were really worried about people just charging that with an untrained house dog and it has happened um luckily uh we generally get notified people talk people post stuff uh we find out about it pretty quickly and usually when something like that happens uh they're generally not a part of our Michigan deer tracking network as well as, um, you know, we, we feel for people. We understand, you know, they want that deer. They feel like they've got scammed. A lot of times if we find that's the case, uh, we'll, we'll go out there. At least I will free of charge and try to back up what that other dog did. Um, it's, there's no good way. We've, we tried to figure out a way to put a test in place, and we just really can't figure out a good way to do it. So we've kind of let social media take care of it for us. And the results are pretty overwhelming that it, it, it actually is working. So
2: so I guess outside of um, taking dogs on tracks, you, you said that there's um, a, a test that they can take, but it's a basic, basically a one-step test to be certified, uh, or is there something beyond that first certification?
1: um, The the only national organization that does any sort of testing for these tracking dogs is unitedbloodtrackers.org, and there's trackers in each state that can set up these tests, and there there's basic requirements that they have to meet. And once a handling team and dog prove that, they go down, they take the test. Once they're proven they get their certification. Personally, I kind of feel that it's there is no substitute for results on tracking a live whitetail. Period. I don't there's no you you can do mock drags all day and the, the proof is in a twenty four hour old track
2: with two specks of blood. So you had said before the podcast that that Certification tests—basically, any house dog could pass it. You think so? If you are in the situation like where I was, or you're just you don't know anybody that that tracks or anything like that, and you you just go to social media or just go wherever, and you just say whatever your state is tracking dog, and it says that they're certified, and they show up with a French poodle or, or something like that. Um, that certification just means that they jump through the hoops. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're successful, or you know, yeah, yeah, a, a, a the,
1: the, the, the being certified that does nothing has nothing to do with their success rate. Um, it's more of a paperwork, and uh, it, it allows the hunter to carry. I think we already covered that. The, mm-hmm. To so it's more of a safety oriented. Now there is a UBT United Blood Trackers two test that um it doesn't allow you to do anything extra it's just you can put that on your resume and that that test i've is uh it it's much more difficult
2: okay well do the only reason i was asking kind of like going back through it is because i wanted to know um or i guess you for you to kind of go through uh we talked about it a little bit earlier about you know what types of dogs these are because you said it <laughs> could be any kind of dog yep. and i just wanted to you know kind of pair the two together that that certification if they come out with any old dog it it could mean that they're legit or it could yeah mean they're absolutely just,
1: you, know, you know you said something about a french poodle i, I tell you there's <laughs> some of the best dogs or breeds that i never would have thought uh you know the the wiener dog they're they're amazing uh one of the best dogs in the state of michigan is a dachshund and uh i've seen labs pointers hounds um uh, german shepherds um australian shepherds so it's uh it's all in putting in the work with the dogs and every breed of dog has its positives and negatives or pros and cons and there is no one that is absolutely the best
0: kind so if there was someone out there that was thinking about getting into this, which, I mean, like you said, it's a passion. It's not like you're going to get rich off doing this, but yep. say, say for me, use me as an example. Right now I got a, uh, my little pup. He's what eight months old, not even that. If I wanted to start training him, is there, are there resources out there to, is, uh, or can you like contact your group?
1: Absolutely. Um, a, a lot of us in the group are more than willing to, to help out and, to grow because even with as many tracking teams as we have now with with the explosion and popularity of it there's still calls that are being unanswered because there's just simply isn't enough of us right um the first thing i'll tell anybody that's thinking about getting this is to read john jahini's book um training dogs for recovering wounded whitetail as i believe the, the full name of it um it's very informative uh it it tells you step by step kind of how to go all the way from the selection of the breed process. Um, my tip to anybody would be the biggest mistake I've seen is they train dogs, they'll go out and they'll run a bloodline. Um, these dogs aren't trained for blood. Obviously the blood helps immensely, but if there's blood, humans really? can track it. So uh, get some hoofs off of deer that have been killed in the past store them in your freezer use them as their play toy take it away from them go hide it make them find it then start dragging it slowly start lengthening the length of the track as well as the duration of the age between until you're um up to a half mile after 12 12 hours that's that's a pretty good standard
0: and then after that point that's when like You're saying some of the guys do it, like, for a donation or, like, they'll come out to, like, help train the dog on, like, a live...
1: Yeah, right now, um, I actually posted uh, the two pups that I'm helping with. Um, What I've done is I've asked for people that have known kills to contact us and let us bring the dog out, work it on a live kill, get him over top of some real deer, some real field training, and... As a kickback, I've offered to if they let one of my pups come out there and work in the future. Use if needed, I'll bring Mac out and track for them
0: for free. Right, so that's win-win for yep for both both parties. Yeah. Well, I might have to start training Fletcher. To, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're just
2: going to need to start killing some deer. That's the yeah. You got to get out <laughs> to hunt first. But so <laughs> I, I had asked you when you came over here. You know, you I. When I contacted you to be on the podcast, you said you took the whole week off yep. just to track. How does tracking and hunting intermingle? Are are, are trackers <laughs> not hunters, or, or how, how <laughs> they, does it work?
1: They, we try to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I, I'm not hunting in the state of Michigan this year. I mean, actually, I'm not whitetail hunting at all. Uh, it Your phone is constantly dinging trying to, you know, hey, can you, can you come to Traverse City? Can you come to Pier? Can you, you know, I'm right down the road. And by the time you spend the time going to track the deer, get back at hours of the night, sleep for two hours, get up, go to work and come back. And then you look at your wife and go, Hey, I'm going to go hunting. <laughs> that usually doesn't work out too well, <laughs> especially when you got three little ones at home. So
2: <laughs> oh, man, I couldn't imagine it's hard enough. You know, with, I've got a a three-year-old and just trying to like balance hunting work and you know doing all this podcasting yeah it's like come on now so i can't imagine just the the travel time has got to be got to be out there so what's the furthest that you've had to travel to track a deer
1: um i as far as just a drive one way i usually i stay within an hour i like to um, certain occasions I, I do go out to two hours. Um, I have went to Traverse city. Uh, I have went to Jackson. Um, obviously in the September I went to Kentucky, but that was specifically to track while I was down there. But so yeah, I, I've went on a couple three hour car rides <laughs> one way.
2: Man, I can't, I couldn't imagine. Now, do you have in your network other trackers up in the UP?
1: Uh, there is, I think two of them, okay. um, For whatever reason, it's not. We don't have a lot of resources up there, and it'd be nice if someone else could get up there. We don't get a lot of calls for it, for whatever reason. I don't know if there is lack of deer or more wolves.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of coyotes, I can tell you that. Lack Uh, of phone service too.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, I, I just really appreciate you coming out here. You know, with everything that you go you have going on, and what as like kind of like a parting thought would you say? You know, about tracking as a whole and then, I guess, encouraging hunters to use tracking as a resource or...
1: Uh, yeah, uh, like I said, the dog is 100% the best tracking, there is no human that's a better tracker, bar none. It's, if you are adamant about doing your best to recover a whitetail that you've wounded, a tracking dog is your best tool um the hunter needs to be honest with themselves and honest with the tracker to give them the best chance you know if you call me and tell me and i've had it happen you know a lot of the times hey i double lunged him well why are you talking to me (laughs) (laughs) clearly the deer you didn't double lung him because you tracked him for 200 yards so um but a lot of times i'll get the call you know hey i hit him i hit it looked like a good shot okay and then we'll go like 1.2 miles and all of a sudden we'll With an arrow sticking out of his ass, it's, <laughs> I've seen it multiple times. So the, the biggest thing is be honest, and they are your best chance to recover.
2: So, you know, for people here in Michigan, how can they get a hold of your group and, and maybe you in particular?
1: Um, the best way to get a hold of any of us is to hop on Facebook, which I think most people have. Look up uh, Michigan Deer Tracking Network. Um, if you're not a part of it already... Get on there, ask to join, it'll get approved, and then if you are in need of our service, hop on there, post, hey, Dave in New Era, need a tracker. Once you post that, that that immediately goes to all of the trackers that are in our network right to our cell phones. Trackers from then, from all around, will contact the hunter, go over what they got going on, and... From there, it, it goes on to the, the hunter. Whoever the hunter feels most confidence with, you know, hey, I'm going to go with Brian or I'm going to go with Rob. And, in many cases, it's usually there's only one, maybe two of us that can get to that track. So it's not like there's seven or eight options. But, you know, some people are going to be more expensive. Some people are going to be less. It just depends on the day.
2: And then, so for our out-of-state listeners, your your network, do you guys have contacts? out in other states to try and maybe point somebody in the right direction
1: um yeah me personally my only contacts really now are down in um kentucky um northern illinois indiana and ohio um we have trackers that cover that area in our in our michigan network um rob miller uh he has quite a few contacts as well throughout a bunch of different states uh he'd be a good one to get a hold of which if you're in need, you can check out his uh, Facebook page. It's Cypress and Sergeant Deer Tracking. And he's very knowledgeable on the subject and knows a lot of people. So,
2: All right, and I'll, I'll try and put uh, links to that uh, both on our social media and then in the notes for the podcast. Um, so if anybody out there, you know, we're getting, again, like you said, into kind of like the peak of your season. Um, but by the time this goes up, you know, we're going to be right in the middle of the rut. So you guys will be be just busy 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 yeah so we'll, we'll have that information out there for you but like i say i, I think that's all we got for today i just want to thank you for like say taking your time out and we, you know we may have cost him a couple hundred bucks just sitting here going
1: i appreciate it uh it was good talking with you guys and uh it's, it's good to get the word out help more hunters starve the coyotes right, right.
2: all right well you know take it easy and thanks for listening